Good evening, my friends, and welcome to the Buckleverse Halloween Special. I am your host, Podcasting's Count Buckula, and I now have to make a brief pause to remove the fangs that I'm wearing for the benefit of the YouTube viewers. <laughs> All the, view, the view, YouTube viewers are getting quite a treat. All the uh, listeners are getting is a very uncomfortable experience right now. Let me get these teeth out. <sighs> ah, expensive ones and all. There you go. Right. Welcome, my friends. It's my favourite time of year. It's it's Halloween. Oh my God, I love it. Um, uh, my first desire in show business. The first job that I wanted as a child was to be a late night horror host. You know what I mean? Like Chriswell or um, Vampirella or, you know, someone of that nature to appear in Good Evening, Tonight's Tale of Terror. Concerns some people caught on a lonely road. And it introduced old horror films. That's what I really wanted to do in my life. (laughs) I would have been happy to do so, but what can I say? Like all the best things of show business, it belongs to the past. So, but but that doesn't really there isn't really a horror host. There's not really a contemporary horror host now, is there? I can't think of one. Correct me if I'm wrong in the comments. There's a few on here though. Some great ones on YouTube. Um, I quite like Newcastle After Dark. Find them because they put up like some really cracking horror films, old ones from back in the day, and uh, they break it up a little bit so that, to get round the legal but, and they introduce it from their sort of lair wherever that happens to be. Newcastle, I'm guessing, not on Tyne. Newcastle in America. Um, you know, it's not Howey horror. It's, uh, oh God, that's going to get cut. All left in. Spontaneous comedy, no censor here. I'm going to talk on today's uh, little pop culture podcast about uh, just a few films on my Halloween playlist. You know, I like I like to have a few lined up for the weekend of Halloween. Um, uh, they tend to be classic horror as well we're going to be looking at today because, see, Halloween, I'm a horror fan. I'm a general horror. I love horror. All of it. You know, I'm a, It's no secret, my love for Wolf Creek. Let me have a little sip of my Halloween tea because I've been gasping for a brew and you can't drink with those teeth in. Mmm. Delicious. So, you know, I love Wolf Creek, for example. Cracking horror franchise, but not Halloween-y. You know, that's more of a summer confection. Halloween, you want... You want horse-drawn carriages and heaving bosoms and, you know, the, the the moon, the full moon with the the clouds scudding across. You know what I mean? You want castles and... Oh, you want hammer, is what I'm saying to you. And that's where we're starting. Because I have been listening to something utterly incredible. I didn't even know it existed. I want to share it with you. There was an unproduced hammer script for a part of their Dracula franchise. The Hammer Dracula franchise is an absolute thing of beauty. If you've not seen it, I insist that you do. It's wonderful. But it went off the rails. It's no secret that the law of diminishing returns is very apparent in these films. Uh, Horror of Dracula, the first one, exceptional. Dracula, Prince of Darkness. Possibly it's equal. Um, Dracula has risen from the grave. Uh, Good, good. Still good, still watchable. Taste the blood of Dracula. We're starting to get on thin ice here. Scars of Dracula. <laughs> Let's not mention that. Scars of Dracula is where it proper lost the plot. So, I mean, Taste the Blood of Dracula, which is the fourth in the franchise, was supposed to be a reboot because Christopher Lee was pissed off with the whole thing. Hilariously, he'd had enough. He played the part too many times. He wanted to expand his range. 
Brilliant actor, Christopher Lee, by the way. Never met him, but saw him through a shop window once. I was walking up Shaftesbury Avenue past the cinema store. He was doing a signing. And I could see him in there. And I thought, I want to go in there and get a Christopher Lee autograph. That would be part of the collection. But then I saw, I could see what he was, he, he was, he was signing the autographs in that way where his head was down. He wasn't looking up. He was just signing it and handing it off like that. Just signing. There was no, there was no chat or banter. And I'd heard tell from friends in the industry that he was pissed off talking about it. And, uh, and I'd had a, a similar experience with Leonard Nimoy. He, just, he, he signed my autograph, but he did not want to know. And it was a little bit, oh, all right, Leonard. I did not want that from Christopher. So I chose to walk on and keep my memories. And I've regretted that ever since. But Scars of Dracula was supposed to be a reboot for the series because Christopher wanted out. So the plan was that Ralph Bates, young Ralph Bates, who I knew from the sitcom Dear John, he was going to be the new Hammer Dracula, a young Dracula, a sexy Dracula. Good actor. Uh, appalling choice for the Count, in my opinion, but a good actor. Solid. Um, they started making it with him. And the idea was that he was going to be a disciple of Dracula's who did a ritual, drank the blood of Dracula, hence the title, and then became possessed by Dracula. And moving forward would be the new Dracula in the series. Um, and Hammer's American distributors got one sniff of this um, script idea and went, you can stick that up your ass. Like, we want Dracula's Christopher Lee. You get him back by any means necessary. So instead of being possessed by Christopher Lee's Dracula, Ralph Bates, via an appalling special effect, turns into Christopher Lee's Dracula and the, the franchise continues. And to quote the great Christopher Lee, because they basically, they, they went up to, went to Christopher Lee, said, please be Dracula. He said no. They laid, laid on the guilt. Terence Fisher laid it on a bit thick with the guilt. Oh, there's other people in the production won't be able to work if we don't make this film. Think of the livelihoods lost. So Christopher Lee did it to provide work, you know, for the rest of the crew, according to him. And as, as he says, and that is the only reason that I did them. The only reason. <laughs> I'm sure he was recompensed. But Scars of Dracula, the one after that, is embarrassing. That's the one where Dracula dies by mistake. You know, that's, this is the level. Dennis Waterman's in it for a start and does not sing the theme tune, slightly disappointingly. But he does appear in it and um, Dracula dies by mistake. There's a great scene on top of the castle at the end. Dracula's got this uh, metal spike he's picked up. He's about to impale Waterman. Then lightning strikes the spike and sets fire to him. <laughs> he tried... He all it needs is the Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, theme to kick in. He falls down the thing. So Hammer at an impasse. They wanted to bring some freshness to this franchise. And they had a script. I think it was called something like Dracula and the Brides of Carly or something. But the idea was to relocate the character and the action from London, where we left him, to, uh, oh, did he, was it Transylvania? No, it was London. Where we, no, it wasn't. It was London in Scar... Yes, this is the weirdness. He dies in London in, in uh, Taste of the Blood of Dracula. Scars of Dracula, for some reason, he's back in, in Transylvania. I'm not quite sure how that happens. They weren't really one for continuity. So that was the plan. Take the camp to India, lovely exotic locations, you know, and, and they wrote this script, really rich, great, Dracula script that would have been but just proved too expensive to do massively expensive undertaking so instead they went with Dracula AD 1972 which is a much cheaper film to produce because it was literally you know the previous films in the franchise have been set in Victorian times but this one would be set now and they could film it literally up the road which they did 
So, so Dracula is resurrected, but he's resurrected in then modern and and now you know. 1972, you know, weird. It's still a period piece now, but at the time it wasn't. And it's very much, you know, gone is... That's the Hammer Dracula film score. That's the Dracula theme present in all the other films, but now replaced with waka 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 awful awful. Dracula resurrected by Johnny Alucard. Oh God, spell his name backwards. Who'd have thunk it? So this script, though, the the Dracula and the the Brides of Carly is is not is lost. No more. Never going anywhere. Until about five years ago, I didn't. How I didn't know about this, I found out about this from watching Dark Corners reviews. If you're a YouTube person, go and watch Dark Corners reviews. They are brilliant. My favourite, easily one of my top three follows on here. Um, every every Monday, a bad movie review, uh, and they did. But they do very very good high end documentaries. They've done one about the the. Hammer Dracula series. This is how I found out about this. It's a BBC drama. Get it on Audible and iTunes. Um, it's a, ra- a fully cast radio production of that script. And it's been renamed The Unquenchable Thirst of Dracula. And it is sublime. I've been listening to it. I- I've listened to it three times already. It is brilliant. It stars Michael Sheen as the narrator. So he's basically reading out, you know, the the bits in the script that aren't characters. We find ourselves in Transylvania, where a young girl... No, we find ourselves in India, sorry. Where a young girl arrives at a station. Brilliant sound effects, fantastic music. Um, Brilliant cast, led by Michael Sheen. And uh, forgive me, I'm going to say this wrong. Is it Mira Sial from um, the Kumars at number 42? And uh, goodness gracious me, Indian actress. I, I always get mispronounce her surname and I apologize but she's the female it's it's wonderful she's like the leader of the Carly cult she's and she plays about four parts in it but that's the main one wonderful cast this is off the cuff comedy mate I'm not doing this from notes I haven't got the cast written down forgive me I'm going on memory um and very interestingly Dracula forgive me coughing I'm choking on glue from them fangs Dracula is played by Lewis McLeod Lewis McLeod is a, a stand-up comedian impressionist, and he's the reason I'm sitting here, if I'm honest with you. Because I had, when I was about um, 17 years old, working in a box office, a theatre box office, desperate to get in show business, no idea how, practising card tricks, and Lewis McLeod was in our pantomime. Um, at the time, he was a Saturday morning kids presenter. And uh, I saw him at the bar, and uh, I, I went and chatted to him about stuff, and that was the first time I ever heard the phrase... The comedy circuit. I had no idea it even existed. And he said to me, you should give that a go. You, you know, you should make, give, you know, that's, that's the place to try things out. Go and buy a copy of Time Out, get the phone numbers, get your open spots and away you go. And he taught me through how to get on the comedy circuit. Never met him since. Uh, and one day I will see him again because we now, I, I don't see why I wouldn't. We've got mutual friends and that. I will see him again and thank him properly. But... In this, he is dra- he's basically playing Christopher Lee, playing Dracula, and the voice is perfect. You took her from me! I mean, it's a real angry Dracula as well. Dracula's quite... Un- he's unpleasant in this. This is not your uh, 
love song for a vampire, Dracula. He's not, you know, mourning for his lost love. He's, he's not looking for... Having just said the words, you took her from me. He's referring to his dinner in that scene, not his lost love. Um, <clears throat> he's literally referring to his dinner. <clears throat> but in this, he's... um. He's angry, he's rageful, and he's he's in pursuit of what he wants. He's gone to India to kind of start again. Things happen. It's spectacular. And the ending, I mean, given that at the end of uh, Scars of Dracula, he dies by mistake because clearly budget didn't allow for a final conference. That's the thing about the Christopher Lee Dracula, the, the death scenes. He goes out in the, the death scene in horror of the Dracula being killed scene in horror of Dracula has never been surpassed. It is phenomenal. The very iconic scene of Peter Cushing spoilers for a film from 1958. Christopher uh, Peter Cushing as Van Helsing running down the length of that dining room table, ripping the giant curtains down. Dracula trapped in the sunlight. He's trying to crawl for the shadows. Cushing stops him by grabbing two silver candlesticks and forming the crucifix. The music's swelling. Dan, 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 forcing him back into the sunlight. Ah, as he, as he, as he goes back, he starts to melt, burn. It's, it's a phenomenal, dramatic climax to a film. Dracula, Prince of Darkness on the ice. Dracula on the frozen moat of, Cas of Castle Dracula. The priest shoots out the, the, the ice from beneath him. He can drown the beast. The, the, the thing tip is a spectacular scene. That nearly killed the stuntman, by the way. When they were filming it, the stuntman in full regalia, he slid down into the water under the ice, but the water filled up his cape and dragged him right down. Big rescue operation. Amazing. But spectacular. Um... Uh, Dracula has risen from the grave. Another one. He, he falls off a thing. He plummets. He's in blood. Gore. Then you get to when the budget started running out. You know, and you can tell because, like, taste the blood of Dracula. He just sort of dies in a church because he ends up standing in front of a... He just sort of dies. It's not really... I can't even tell you how he dies. Watch that film and tell me how he dies. Because I can't work it out. He's, he's in a church, a, dis, a disused church. Uh, in front of a stained glass window, and then he sort of goes, for no reason, sort of goes, and turns to ashes. I'd love to know why. And then Scars of Dracula, he dies of embarrassment. AD, Dracula AD sort of falls over his own shoes into a hole. It, it, it gets, you know, and, and it's not good. But the end of this, that I won't spoil, you know, you can see, like, this would take modern day effects to achieve. It's quite a dramatic way for the Count to meet his maker. It's superb. I loved it. I've loved it. I've, three times I've listened to it. I've got no doubt I'll listen to it again. That's the first of my Halloween picks. The Unquenchable Thirst of Dracula. Or indeed any of the Christopher Lee Dracula franchise. You'll find them on Amazon, mate. They're well, the early ones especially. They're all worth it. Superb work. What else will I be watching this weekend? I've also got my yearly viewing of The Bride of Frankenstein. I always put that on... Um, I've got the whole Universal Monsters box set. It's a weird passion of mine uh, that I share with a mate, Pete Furman, the comedy magician. Um, wonderful comedy magician. And we both got this love. It's, we sort of bonded over it, this love for the Universal horror franchise. This is going back. This predates Hammer. This is 1932. And the duel in that, the duel even in that franchise is Crown is the Bride of Frankenstein, the second in the Frankenstein series. But you can watch it without watching the first. You get a very nice little five-minute recap at the start. It's uh, Mary Shelley and, all, uh, and Lord Byron sitting in the house going, you know, 
Oh, I on a stormy night. Tell me, Mary, about your monsters. Was there more? There was more to the tale, Lord Byron. What? Then summon your horrors. And she starts telling them the story of the Bride of Frankenstein, where Henry Frankenstein, the scientist, because Frankenstein's the scientist, guys, not the monster, yeah, has uh, survived his fall from the uh, the windmill at the end of the last one and is, is alive, as is the monster who survived the, the fire. And now uh, Frankenstein is going to create... Under pressure, under duress, Dr. Pretorius returns. Ernest Thysiger, I believe, is the actor. He returns into Frankenstein's life and blackmails him, basically. We'll make a woman. That should be really interesting. And they're going to make a bride for the monster. And the monster wants a friend. It is a beautiful film. Man, it stands up. It's Max Maven's favourite film, if you know that is. If you're a magician that listens to this, I don't know why you would be, because it's not a magic podcast, but some do. Um... It's wonderful. I mean, that film, you could watch. It looks like it was made last week, you know. It's just a beautiful thing. Karloff, never better. He played the monster three times. Um, And there's not, you know, brilliant every single time. But um, that one's the one. Because he really, oh, every time he's on, he'll he'll, he'll frighten you. But he'll, he'll break your heart. He'll make you jump. He'll surprise you. All in the same scene, you know. It's it's a flawless performance from from Boris Karloff as the monster, and the monster speaks in this as well, which Karloff fought against. Karloff did not want the monster to speak. He felt that the creature should be a a silent, always be silent. But you know, the public wanted to hear his voice, and uh, that's what they got. James Whale's decision, and that's when you see a star. A star is born as well. In, in Frankenstein, Karloff was unknown. He was. He was cast because of um, his looks. James Whale had come up against a brick wall trying to cast his monster after Bela Lugosi said no. And he uh, ended up in the canteen at the Universal lot where Karloff was working on a gangster film or something. And Karloff had a dental plate that he'd taken out to eat. And when he took it out, his cheek would sink in and the sunlight was hitting him, creating this weird effect. Just as Whale came in the door, Whale clocked him and thought, just saw his face and thought, that's it, that haunted face there's my monster right there hide him on the spot but in frankenstein karloff is billed as in the opening credits quest the monster question mark and he's right at the bottom of the credits colin clive top top billing down through the cast right at the bottom the monster question mark and then at the end credits a good cast is worth repeating and uh, as they used to do, as is they want in those days there's the credits and finally at the bottom the monster boris karloff right at the bottom like an extra, which is how Bela Lugosi described the role when it was offered to him. This is a this is a part for a half with extra. Um, but then cut cut to Bride of Frankenstein, top billing mate, and not even top one word like bloody Adele, you know, <laughs> just Karloff at the top, big on the poster, Karloff, and on some of the posters, Karloff the Uncanny. And he owns it, and he brings it. Bride of Frankenstein is on my list. You will, if you've not seen it, check it. You will love it. What else is on my list? Well, Halloween's on my list. The John Carpenter Halloween. I'm not going to talk about that, and there's a reason. I'm going to go and see Halloween Ends at the cinema. I've not seen it yet, so I want to see that, and then do an episode on the Halloween franchise, like on its own, just riffs about that, and you know, personal memories. So I'm saving that for the next episode. 
That's what got me into the whole Halloween vibe thing and, and, and pretty much set the course for my slightly goth leanings. I've always been a little bit of a goth, not mate, not a full goth, but that way inclined. It was all because of uh, when I was growing up. My first horror film was uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. I was off sick from school at about the age of five, five or six, and it was on one afternoon. And that was my first introduction to the Universal Monsters, you know. I knew the images, you know, because all the classic monster images that you know, Dracula with the collar and the black cape, Frankenstein with the, the flat top head and the bolts in the neck, not bolts, sorry, electrodes in his neck, guys. He's always depicted having bolts in his neck, they're not bolts, they're electrodes, it's how Frankenstein gets the lecky into him. The Wolfman, you know, those, those classic monsters. If I say those classic monsters, the first image you get, that image came from the Universal Monster series from the 1930s and 40s. And, uh, yeah, that was my first. So my first introduction of that was they, BBC Two showed them late at night, you know, about 10, say late, 10 o'clock. And my mum would occasionally let me sort of stay up and watch them. So I did. Um, the first one I ever saw of an adult nature was The Son of Frankenstein. I missed Lugosi's Dracula. I just missed it. It was This was back in the day. TV was on. You got it or you didn't. So I didn't see it. I didn't, wouldn't, wouldn't see that until I was about... Probably the last one that I watched. It was the, It's the first film of the Universal Monster series, but it's the last one that I ever actually saw. Um, Son of Frankenstein was the... And it's burned into my brain. For the, one, reason, one reason, great. One not... One, great, because it was my first time... Seen Karloff as the monster, uh, and he's 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 good. Bride of Frankenstein, as I say, is the best. Son of Frankenstein, though, is perfectly brilliant. Basil Rathbone plays the son of Henry Frankenstein, who is charged with bringing the monster back by Igor, the monster's friend, played by Bella Lugosi. It was the first Lugosi film I saw as well, and arguably Bella's second greatest role after Dracula. And he does chew the scenery as Igor. He's amazing. Hell, oh, Igor with a broken neck. They tried to hang old Igor, uh, but they failed. <laughs> he is my friend. The monster, when he first meet him, he is my friend. He does things for me. Oh, Bella. Bella and his prime. Yeah, and then the other reason, I won't go into here. But, um, yeah, it was a lot, yeah. But, um... I love those universals. So I always choose one of them for Halloween. This year it's Bride. Well, most years it's Bride of Frankenstein when I've got choice. But um, yeah, nice. But how many different times? Oh my God, we're on 25 minutes already. I've only just bloody started. Oh, come on. I might go a bit. It's Halloween. I'll talk a bit more. Halloween ends is on the, on the thing. What else have we got? Um, I might give it a bit of Boris Karloff as the body snatcher. That's a corking film. The Body Snatchers are filmed from the same sort of... It's not a universal film. It's, I think it's RKO. But it's... um, And it's much more... Fa no monsters. It's, a, it's just a, a gothic story. A gothic horror story based on Birkenhair. Um, essentially the Birkenhair story, except that it's a fictitious uh, body snatcher played by Boris Karloff dealing with a, a doctor. You'll never get rid of me, Tolly. Um, and it builds to a brilliant climax. Um, obviously, because Karloff, you know, the, the the demand outweighs supply, so Karloff has to start getting the doctor some bodies via more nefarious means. Beautifully shot, beautifully shot. One of my favourite moments in that film. It's perfect, all in silence, no score, black and white, starkly lit, 
And it's the little flower girl. She's in it as a character all the way through, and she sings as she's selling her flowers. And you just see her going home at night after her shift, but because it's dark, she's singing to keep herself cheerful. So you see her go down this, uh, this alleyway singing. And then you see Karloff's horse and coach, coach and horses. He's, he's a cabbie, is his day job. That's coming down the, the, the thing behind her, but you can still see her, hear her singing. And the, the coach and horses disappears out of shot. And all you hear is the singing stops. That's it. And you know that murder has been done. That's it. But it's just so atmospheric and so well done. It's a beautiful film, a beautiful horror film. That's on my Halloween list this this year as well. So I'm going to go with uh, Bride of Frankenstein, one of the Hammer Draculas, probably the horror of. I fancy revisiting that. I'm going to stick in some Cushing as well. Um, I'm a big fan of Peter Cushing, just generally. And uh, I think this year's pick is going to be one of his Frankenstein films. Hammer's genius with the Frankenstein. All of these, by the way, they're going to get their own episodes. Because I could go about all of these for hours. Hammer's Frankenstein series was genius. The Universal Frankenstein series concerned itself with the monster. The monster reappeared film after film after film. Leading to the confusion about the name. Because the films had names like Son of Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. But Darren Frankenstein's not in them anymore. So people think that's where the weird confusion that Frankenstein was the name of the monster came from. But the Hammer series focuses on the Baron. Baron Frankenstein is the recurring figure. And each film features another horrific experiment on his part. Sometimes he creates a monster. Sometimes he just does something despicable. Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed is one of my favourites. Because that's literally about him trying to... It turns out Frankenstein had a, a vile partner. And he's trying to get information out of said partner but said partner is now after various um strokes is now catonic so frankenstein wants to get his brain out of him out of his body and into a new body and and fix it just so he can work with him again but um there's consequences to that you know one of which is when the once the guy's brain is fixed he's no longer mad and uh, and it's, it's it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. He has a, a wife that doesn't know him anymore because he's in a different body, and uh, and it's and and Cushing's Frankenstein in that is a particular bastard. I mean, he gets nastier as the as the franchise goes on. That's the subtlety of it. If you watch them in order, he does get nastier and madder, and more warped, but also more trapped in his own desire for these these incredibly horrific experiments that he conducts. My and uh, one of my favourite. Uh, do you know what? It's hard to pick with the Cushing Frankenstein's. I think I'm going to go with Frankenstein Created Woman, which is where he, um, his, his latest experiment, he's worked out how to trap a human soul, and which is what he does. And at the heart of this story is a very, very um, moving. It's a moving love story between a just a simple lad and a a girl who's unfortunately been born slightly disfigured, and. Uh, and three absolute arseholes who um, end up committing a murder and pinning it on the lad. He hangs for it. The girl kills herself. But the lad worked works for Baron Frankenstein. Um, and then Frankenstein seizes this moment of opportunity, takes the boy's soul and puts it in the girl's body, whilst also correcting her deformities so that no one knows it's her. 
Um, but, oof, he does not know what he has wrought because the sort of weird, the, the hybrid that he's created seeks vengeance on these three pricks. It's a beautiful film. And Cushing is great in it. He really is great in this one. He's, he's, he's right at the point where Frankenstein is full mad, but still slightly sympathetic. I mean, you, you know, you're... You know he's he's still a nutter, but he's not the bastard he becomes in the later films. He's still got a little bit of a a little bit of a heart, not much of one, not much of one at all actually. But he's still a you know he's always a charismatic presence. But this is the last time you sort of root for him. Um, at least I do. But then I root for the dark ones. You know what I mean? That's my thing. My friends, do you know what? This Halloween special's gone quick. I, I, my, my waffle has taken up all the time. So, do you know, and again, I'll tell you what, I don't give a toss. I love horror. I'm, I'm, I won't do the whole face again, but I'm going to uh, do some shows just on specific films and talk about them and stuff from these particular franchises. That, though, is your Halloween Bucklerverse. And I'm going to leave you in a, a traditional way with the closing, the, yes, this is what I'm going to do, the closing speech. From uh, from Dracula, the Bela Lugosi version. Just a moment, ladies and gentlemen. A word before you go. We hope the memories of Dracula and Renfield won't give you bad dreams. So just a word of reassurance. When you get home tonight, and the lights have been turned out, and you are afraid to look behind the curtains, and you dread to see a face appear at the window. Why, just pull yourself together, and remember that after all, there are such things. Happy Halloween, everybody. I'll see you on the next Bucklerverse.